0: Well, hey, man! Today we're in week number two of our Leadership Principles for Men series, and John. Last week we studied probably one of the most famous leaders in in history, Moses. And today we're going to study someone who's a little bit less well known, but still pretty famous. and And he's the he's the guy in the very next generation. He's the one that sort of took the baton from Moses. Today we're going to talk about Joshua but we probably need a little bit of background on this guy.
1: Yeah. As you mentioned, Moses is probably the most famous leader in the nation of Israel's history, certainly was at that time. And how would you like to be the guy that has to step into those shoes? I know that would be a, a pressure cooker for me. So if you're listening today and you know you can relate to that, maybe maybe you just got married recently and and you've got a father-in-law that's just a spiritual giant, a godly man who's led his his home really well, and you're thinking, how am I going to live up to that? Or maybe you have a new role at church, whether that's vocational minister or even a volunteer role, and you're stepping into someone else's shoes, or you got a promotion at work. Whatever that is, I think there are some lessons we can learn today from Joshua and his life that I hope will encourage you, and I hope will bring you a level of excitement as you continue to lead. And we're going to spend some time
0: in the book of Joshua here in just a minute. But John, before we read that, I think we should start with some background from Numbers 14. So this is when Moses is still alive. He sends Joshua and and Caleb, his companion, he sends them out to, to scout the, the promised land. Remember, Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land. Sorry, Moses was, Joshua was was part of the group at that time. And I think it's important for us to understand really Joshua's leadership. It's important for us to start right here. Numbers 14, starting in verse 5, it says, Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, tore their clothing. And here's what Joshua and Caleb said to all the people of Israel. So this is really sort of the first picture we get of Joshua. He says, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. So you can see Joshua's leadership already. He says, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of those people in the promised land. Because remember, they're, they're, the Israelites are heading to the promised land, but there are already people living there. So they're going to have to dispossess those people of the land before they take the land. But here's what it says. The whole community, so all the Israelites that Joshua and Caleb are just you know, trying to encourage, they, the, the whole community began to talk about stoning these two guys, Joshua and Caleb. So they come with this great message of optimism and, and hope and yet the people want to stone them. And then it says, The glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a great nation, greater and mightier than they are. So you know, this is still some overlap, John, with Moses's ministry, but we're really starting to get a glimpse into, you know, Joshua's ability to lead even in the face of adversity.
1: Well, it's interesting to me that out of the 12 spies that Moses sent out, only two of them trusted in God's promises to be able to go in and take the promised land. So 10 of the spies said, oh yeah, it's flung with milk and honey, all right. But there are giants there. There are fortified cities. The people are powerful. They're going to crush us if we try to go in. And Joshua and Caleb say, guys, (laughs) don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. I love it how he says, they're helpless Pray to us. They don't have any protection. Why? Because the Lord is with us. So only Joshua and Caleb want to move forward and take the promised land. And the rest of the crowd literally wants to kill them. So not only do they not want to follow these two guys, not only is their leadership called into question here at the beginning, they want to stone them because they're trying to convince the the Israelites to go in and take the promised land. It makes me think of a study that I know it's been done on more than one occasion of how when you have nobody following you, when you have people questioning you, it can start to cause you to doubt. It can start to cause you to even question reality. So the reality was God was on the Israelite side. The reality was God would deliver the promised land, but, but all the other spies and all the, those Israelites who were faithless and who doubted, they started to question reality. But I've heard of this study where they will send a high school student out of a room on an errand or to go to the office or for whatever. And when they're gone, they say, okay, when this student comes back, I'm going to ask some questions to the whole class. And I want you guys to answer incorrectly. And so the student comes back in and, you know, the teacher puts two squares on the board and says, which square is bigger? And the first time they ask that question, all the students who were in on it, They raise their hand for the smaller square, even though it's clearly smaller when the teacher says, which one's bigger? And and only the student who was out of the room raises their hand for the correct size. And of course, that student looks around like, what, what is everybody thinking? And they'll repeat that exercise with different shapes and different questions. And most of the time, after three or four questions, the student who is outside of the classroom will just follow along with the crowd. They, they no longer want to answer truthfully, even though it's clear that they have the correct answer because they cave into peer pressure. And that's how we can be as, as men, as leaders. When nobody's following us, when everybody's questioning us, we can get sucked into that. We can get sucked into to really having a distorted reality. I love that Joshua and Caleb knew that God was on their side, and because God was on their side, they, in fact, were not the underdogs. Those other nations didn't stand a chance. You know, Josh said, they're a helpless prey to us. It always bugs me when people call the story of David and Goliath an underdog story, and they try to depict David as the underdog. David was no underdog. The Lord God Almighty was on David's side. Goliath was the underdog, and we we saw what happened to him. So, man, as you're leading, particularly when you're leading and you feel like nobody's following you or you feel like everybody around you is questioning you, I would ask, do you know God's promises? The only reason Joshua and Caleb weren't suicidal maniacs is because they knew God had promised them that they would inherit the land. Now, we don't have that same promise, right? God hasn't called us to go physically take over land like he did the Israelites, but God has some amazing promises in his word for us. God promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. God promises to forgive us our sins when we confess them to him. He promises us in Romans eight twenty eight to work, all things out for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So do you know the promises of God? Now, on a side note, guys, we can't hold God to promises that he never made. I, I bring that up because, you know, I, I watch watch a lot of videos, listen to a lot of podcasts. And if you're not careful, you're going to hear some prosperity gospel stuff out there where God supposedly promises that he wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's That's just not a promise that I see in scripture. So we can stand on the promises of God, but we want to make sure we're not holding God to promises that he never made. And I think we can see in this that we need to stand when everyone else around us is critical. And and there's a reason why they were critical, right, Brian? There's a reason why the crowd wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb when they said, hey, let's go take the land.
0: Yeah, we actually see it in in Numbers thirteen, just the chapter right before where we were reading out of in chapter fourteen. It says that the the other the other men who had explored the land disagreed and they said, We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they it says in verse thirty-two, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. It's not even truthful, by the way. It's their they're gaslighting, they're 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 lying is what they're doing. Here's what, here's here was their lie. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. John, I've always thought that's funny that they would say, we felt like grasshoppers next to them. And we know that's exactly what they were thinking too. They didn't know that. They, In fact, the opposite was true. We know that that the people in the promised land were actually afraid of the Israelites.
1: Yeah, their whole reality was distorted just because of this bad report. The The fact was the inhabitants of the land were scared to death of the Israelites. They had heard of the great things that the God of the universe had done for them, how he delivered them out of Egypt. That word had already spread. So th- this report from the other 10 spies who went in was, you know, completely false uh, in the sense that the people weren't the people weren't uh, gonna squash the Israelites like grasshoppers they were actually scared to death of what Israel was gonna do as they came in and invaded the land that's easy to do like it's easy to let your fear and worry distort your reality i'm I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the guys listening to our podcast can can relate to that I know that's happened for me in the past and it's in those times I really have to go back and stand on on again on God's promises and what he's what he's told me and his, what his word says. I I've been thinking ahead Brian, you know, I don't I don't pretend to be a prophet. I don't know what God has in store for our nation. God may bring revival to the United States. I'm praying that he does, but I've kind of come to grips with the fact that there could be a time in my life when I might go to prison for speaking God's truth. I, I certainly hope that's not the case. But the way our culture is headed, I I can see myself being accused of hate speech when I teach what God's Word says about marriage or about the sanctity of life or transgenderism, et cetera. And so, yeah, you know, I, I I'm not scared of being stoned. I'm not, I'm not scared of being executed or anything like that. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. I don't want to make it sound like I can relate to what Joshua and Caleb were feeling that day, but. Certainly, I think as men and as leaders, we're going to have to count the cost and we're going to have to be willing to stand when everyone around us is critical. And I've had that happen in family situations already, nothing to that extent. But I remember as our kids were growing up, we didn't allow sleepovers, even with cousins. We didn't allow it with friends. I just, I know when I was a kid, nothing good ever happened for me after midnight when I was at sleepovers or had kids sleeping over. And so my wife and I just decided at a, at a very early stage in our marriage when we started having children that we weren't going to allow sleepovers for our kids. And man, you would have think that, that I said, you know, something heretical. I couldn't believe how much flack I got from family members and from friends who said I was a prude, who said I was too strict. Not just so I'm clear, I'm not saying that that every family should make that same decision. I'm not saying that you're sinning if you let your kids have sleepovers. I just know for me and for my wife that's what God put on our heart and and we took a lot of teasing and a lot of flack for that, but I'm glad that we stood by that, and I think it was a very healthy and a very protective thing for our kids.
0: Well, we see that as we continue on in Joshua's story. Because Joshua had to stick to it, even when it went against the world, like we see that in Joshua chapter six. So this is now this is, so fast forward from the Numbers section where where you know Joshua is first introduced as a spy who spies out the land. Well, years later, he ends up now back back at that same place, getting ready to lead the Israelites to take the land. Moses wasn't the one to do it; Joshua was. And it says in Joshua 6 now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid there it is again because the people were afraid of the Israelites no one was allowed to go in or out but the Lord said to Joshua I have given you Jericho its king and all its strong warriors you and your fighting men should now look at what he look at the instructions John this is interesting you and you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for 6 days I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are somewhat familiar with the story, the fall of Jericho. But just just think about what God is asking Joshua to do and how crazy this must have sounded, not just to him, but to the people, to the Israelites. He says, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So, John, you you think you sounded crazy for, you know, for saying no sleepovers. I wonder how Joshua, what Joshua was thinking when he's getting these instructions from the Lord, he's, he, his, his obedience to God is really being tested here because this literally sounds kind of crazy.
1: Absolutely. Can you imagine the looks on the faces of his military leaders? When Joshua says, all right, guys, I've got the battle plan. Here's what the Lord said we're going to do. We're going to march around this city in broad daylight. We're not going to talk. We're not going to say a word. We're not going to charge into the city. We're we're just going to take a lap. And we're going to do that six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, we're going to take seven laps. And then we're going to scream and blow the trumpets, and the city will be ours. I, I can only imagine the looks he was getting in that tent. Or, or wherever he had that meeting with his generals as he was getting ready to take the city of Jericho I mean this is so contrary to the world's wisdom and yet I think that's how God often works you know the bible talks about how God uses the foolish to shame the wise and and I think God in some way delights in turning the world's wisdom on its head and I think God does that in many ways even for us today now we've We're probably never going to go in and take over a city like Joshua did. But think about your finances, for example, man, as you're listening to this podcast today. Like, there's no one with worldly wisdom that would say giving a significant percentage of your income away is healthy financially. That's just so contrary to the world's wisdom. Yet, you know, God's wisdom is we should be generous. We should share what we have. We should give back to the kingdom. We should give to the poor. That's just so different. I think of even corporately, Chick-fil-A. Now, I'm not I'm not taking a stance on whether or not restaurants should be open on Sundays. Again, I think that's a personal conviction. You know, for some people Sunday is their Sabbath, for some people it's not. But that was their conviction that we're not going to be open on Sundays. That is so against the world's wisdom. And yet. God used that in, in, a, in a way to, to bless them, right? They, they've gathered a huge following. I mean, Chick-fil-A has a massive following. And one of the reasons is because they have stood on their principles, even when maybe it went against the world's wisdom. So going against the world sometimes means that you and I are going to go against the wisdom of the world, but we're going to trust in God's wisdom.
0: Well, and we can see where this comes from in Joshua's life, you know, because we we just read Joshua 6. This is, again, when God is telling Joshua to do something that sounds kind of crazy and ridiculous, and like, is this really going to work? But if you go back to Joshua chapter 1, we get context for, I guess, what we could call the playbook that Joshua was using. And, you know, We see this in Joshua 1, but but maybe this was even something that God was giving him in the wilderness. We don't even know. But he says in Joshua 1, 6 through 9, it says, be strong and courageous, God speaking, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Then he says it again, verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 8, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Here it is a third time. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And John, I think this is such a powerful reminder to every man listening today that we're not telling you to stand up and lead and do it on your own strength and in your own wisdom. Uh, You know, one of the things we want to hear, we want you to hear over and over throughout this leadership series is you better be in the word of God because the world is getting crazier and crazier. And if you're not in the word of God, you're going to fall for the lies that the world's feeding you.
1: This is one of those passages that kind of gives me chills. I think as a man, you just, there's something in this passage that resonates. I wish I had a cooler voice. I wish Thud was on this one with us, you know, his, his best <laughs> fighter pilot voice. But, but this command, be strong and courageous. And he turns right around in the next verse, be strong and very courageous. Then again in verse 9, this is my command. I'm commanding you, be strong and courageous. So Joshua's told three times just in those three verses to be strong and courageous. And then he's he's told again by the people in another passage, be strong and courageous. Why was that so important? Why is God really stressing be strong and courageous? It's because it's going to be hard. This is going to be a daunting task. There are going to be times when he's going to feel like quitting. He's filling in for the greatest leader Israel had ever known. He's leading upwards of a million people into a land that's inhabited by stronger people, more powerful people. He's leading a group of people that are known for their stubbornness. They're hard to lead. They're quick to rebel. It's going to be tough. And so, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. But he says, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. And I'm, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. I'll be right there beside you. And then he gives them the playbook, as you mentioned, Brian. He says, hey, if you want to be successful, meditate. Study this book of instruction. Don't deviate. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Stay on track. Now, you and I as men are not leading the sheer magnitude of numbers that Joshua led but I really feel like our task in a lot of ways is just as daunting. We're we're trying to raise kids who love and honor God in a culture that is increasingly hostile to God and his truth. We're trying to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Some of us are leading employees, you know, we own a business. And so we're, we're trying to balance profitability with compassion and care for those that we employ. If we're leading in ministry, we're trying to balance truth with love as we shepherd a broken flock. So men, be strong and courageous. God is with you, just like he was with Joshua. And spend time in his word, meditate on it. Now, Joshua only had the law of Moses to meditate on, right? We have the whole counsel of God. We have the Old and New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16, one of my favorite verses in the Bible reminds us that all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And and so I think this is something that resonates with men. It's, It's useful. Like, how encouraging is that for me as a leader? We all have whatever your industry is, whatever line of work you're in. We all have those resources that we've we've come to rely on in our in our field of work because they're useful, they're helpful, they're practical, they work. And that's the power of God's word. God's word is just as relevant for us today as it was the day it was written. It's it's just as useful. Psalm one, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible is all the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. And think think of that picture in your mind of what that what that looks like, if we're that kind of man who delights in the law of the Lord. And, and he says, that's going to make us like a tree that's planted along the riverbank. So that means we're going to bear fruit. We're going to be with, able to stand the storms of life. And that fruit that we bear not only benefits us, it benefits those around us. It gives them food. They can seek refuge in our shade. They get protection from the elements underneath us if we are careful to delight in the law of the lord
0: you know I, I can hear our the men listening just getting fired up with joshua's example they're saying oh, that's it man i'm going to do it i'm going to stick to it in the face of adversity i'm going to i'm going to stick to it when the when when whatever god's telling me goes against the world like it's it's just it goes against the world's wisdom it might sound crazy but i'm going to stick to it anyway i'm going to I'm going to make a commitment. I hope men do. I hope you make a commitment to study this book of instruction, God's Word. I hope you read it every single day. John, our, our men's group at at church, is, I just love it. These guys are reading through the Bible together, and you can see it just transforming their lives. Just getting God's Word into your bones, letting letting the Bible become the playbook for your life. So I can hear men saying, "I'm I'm ready. Like I want to follow. I want to be strong and courageous." I want to be like, I want to lead like Joshua. But there's one more thing, John, that we need to cover that maybe is, I don't know, to to me, with my personality and my leadership style, this is maybe the most valuable lesson we even learned from Joshua in his leadership. And, And we get it, again, in his book, in Joshua chapter four. And it's all about the fact that he was just trying to set the tone He wasn't trying to force anybody. And some of our men need to hear that. Because I I think if you're trying to lead your wife, your kids, people at church, people at work, if you're trying to sort of force them to follow... If you're trying to lead them with a whip, it's not going to work. If you're trying to force them to follow you, it's not going to work. Joshua wasn't trying to force anyone to follow him. In fact, it says in Joshua 4.14... That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses, which is high praise, isn't it, John? But what we see next is really, I think, the biggest, the biggest lesson. Joshua, Joshua says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that. He's saying, we're going to set the example. We made a decision, not just Joshua, but his household did. Like my family's following me. But he's speaking now to the rest of the nation. And he's like la- he's saying, "I'm not going to make you do anything. It's your choice. It's your decision. But we've made our decision. We're going to set the tone for you, and I hope that you'll follow in our footsteps."
1: Yeah, this is Joshua's swan song, right? That the the passage in Joshua 24 is after they've conquered the Promised Land. He's been through he's been through thick and thin with them. You know, he's. He's been through every battle with them. He's, he's walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. Uh, I want to back up to that first passage you referenced for just a second, the Joshua 4 passage where it says, that day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites, and for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. That's, that's before they captured the promised land. So that's before Joshua even had a chance to really earn the respect that he would earn over time because the Lord did that. The Lord took his obedience. There's you know, there's a, a story, some background of that as they're going in to, to take over the promised land as they cross the Jordan River. God gives Joshua some very specific instructions about setting up an altar, a memorial with 12 stones, in the river as they cross, and he does it again when they get to the other side of the river. And we see that Joshua is very careful to obey the Lord's commands. And, and so that's that's how he set the tone, as you mentioned, this idea of setting the tone as the leader. Joshua knew that his obedience was going to be key. There's no way he could try and lead the nation of Israel to be obedient if he wasn't obedient himself and I think about that as a dad man my my kids can spot hypocrisy in me faster than anyone else can they they see the real me they see the me that you know is is the tired me at 10 30 on a Tuesday night when I haven't been very productive and and I'm feeling stressed out or feeling behind and and they're going to call me out on that you know they they're, they're going to say dad that's that that's not that's not the you that you would portray sunday morning you know on on stage or behind the pulpit and i they do it in a loving way in a respectful way but i appreciate that that they help me to be accountable in that area that that's really how he modeled and and set the tone was his obedience and so then you see that at the beginning of his leadership right the beginning of of going in and then you know, year after year, battle after battle, as they're taking the Promised Land, as they're taking all these cities, Joshua just continues to model that faithful obedience, and and I just love that that he was right there in the middle of it. I, I've learned you can't lead people to a place that you're not willing to go. You know, one of our passions, Brian, that, that you and I talk about all the time, and. And we talk about it at our churches all the time is discipleship. We want, we want to see people helping other people pursue God. And, and I talk about that a lot, but I do it a lot. And I don't, I don't, I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant at all, but, but I model that, you know, like at any given time I'm mentoring three or four guys at any given time. And, and, and because of that, and because other leaders at our church are also modeling it, it's, it's catching. It's contagious. We have more and more guys doing it. You know, The men's group you mentioned at your campus, those men, they're doing it. And, and they're doing it because you did it. And they're doing it because other leaders at our church have been doing it. And, and so I would just say, men, as dads and as husbands, you can't lead your wife and your children to places that you're not willing to go. So if you're not obeying God in, in areas of your life, don't be surprised when they're not obeying God in areas of, of their life. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can make their decisions for them, and it doesn't mean that just because you honor God, they automatically will. That's what I love about this last challenge Joshua gives to the nation of Israel. You know, Joshua says, hey, look, guys, we've seen God do amazing things. God has given us this land, even though if you just look at what's humanly possible, it never should have happened. But he went out before us. He drove the people out. He gave us victory. He's proven that he's faithful. He's proven that he's reliable. And so now you've got a decision to make. I've tried to model this for you. I've tried to set the tone. And I can tell you what I'm going to do. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. But now you've got to make that decision for yourself. This really hit home for me in the last week. my second son left for college, and um, the day that he left, he and I got together. I was actually preaching out of town, and so he and I met at a kind of a, a halfway point and and I just spent about thirty minutes you know praying with him and telling him goodbye and and wishing him well and I really felt like this I really felt like Joshua a little bit like son i've I've tried to model for you what it means to love God and, and serve Him, and, and certainly I've fallen short many times, and I've made a lot of mistakes, but, but I think I can honestly say there's an overall trajectory in my life that I've sought to honor God, and, and you've seen how God has been so faithful to us, son, but now you've got to go own your faith. You know, you've know you got to go make that decision for yourself, and, and I'm excited I'm excited to see what he does. I, I'll confess, I'm a little nervous. You know, there's a a little bit of anxiety in me, but I'm just turning that over to God and and praying that uh, this will be a really formative year for my son and that that he'll own it and and take it for himself.
0: John, maybe that's a good way to to end today's podcast. I know we've got a lot of dads listening and maybe even some of the dads listening are thinking I failed. I've failed with my kids. I've failed with my sons, my daughters, my, my wife. What, what would you say to someone who who is going through this series, maybe in a small group or with a mentor, or they're maybe just listening to these podcasts, and they're feeling this sense of, of maybe it would feel like condemnation even, that they haven't led like Moses from last week, or they haven't stuck to it and led like Joshua. They, they haven't been a good example of, of following God's instruction, reading His Word, um, of being a godly example, of being strong and courageous. What would you say in closing, John, to to those guys who feel like they've blown it?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is go back and listen to last week's podcast because Moses didn't start well either. <laughs> That's one of the things that we learned from Moses is he didn't get off to a good start, and God still used him in very powerful ways. So yeah don't don't let past mistakes define you. Don't feel condemnation. Conviction's a good thing. Condemnation is not. So, so don't, don't wallow in shame and guilt over past mistakes. If, if there were past mistakes, just confess those, lay them at God's feet, and know that His forgiveness and mercy are greater. And now I would challenge you, be strong and courageous. So looking forward, looking ahead, be strong and courageous. And then you need to make the decision for yourself. Are you going to follow God? Are you going to honor Him? Are you going to listen to Him? Are you going to meditate on His Word? Are you going to try not to deviate to the right or to the left moving forward? You make that decision, and then people will follow. And if people don't follow, you can still honor God in that, right? Just like Joshua and Caleb did in the first part of our story when nobody else wanted to follow, they honored God, and there was blessing in that. You know, we, I don't know if we talked about this, Brian, but they're the only two from that whole generation of the nation of Israel. They're the only two men fighting age who got to enter the promised land. So even though nobody followed them initially, God blessed their obedience and their willingness to, to trust in him and to know that he is faithful and God can do the same thing for you in your life.